1: Think about your favorite toys when you were growing up. What made them stand out for you? Was it the functionality, the packaging, the mythology, the commercials or the fact your friends had them? What made for a great toy and what made the toys of the 1980s stand out so much? The toys of the 80s were not as simple as they seemed. So what really went into them? Their connections with war, trade embargoes, marketing, government deregulations and some good old fashioned commerce. Christmas, all I wanted more than life itself was a Soundwave Transformer. He could transform from a robot into a Walkman. He had sidekick animals that could transform to cassette tapes that could actually be placed into his cassette deck. This blew my mind. I longingly looked at it in the stores and became familiar with the shape and design of the packaging. It was at the top of all my Christmas wish lists. The day before Christmas, family members stopped by and dropped off presents that would sit under the tree taunting us. One specific gift was in the exact shape and size as the Soundwave box, and it had my name on it. On Christmas morning, it was the first thing I made a beeline for. I tore off the paper, only to be horrified that it was one of those jumbo packs of lifesavers. To say my soul was crushed beyond repair is an understatement. But what was it about that toy that made me want it so bad? Was it from seeing it represented in the cartoon show, watching other kids play with it in the commercials? Was it the fact you could actually interact and play with this thing and it wouldn't just stand there with its only function to be displayed? So what made us love the toys that we did and what makes for great toys in general?
0: But I've always been fascinated by action figures and you know, (laughs) whatever you like, whatever thing you're interested in, it's hard not to collect things. It's hard not to amass. Uh, a a pile of stuff, you know, birthdays, Christmas, just uh, trips out uh, to the store or whatever.
1: That's Dan Larson.
0: My name is Dan Larson, the writer and host of Toy Galaxy on YouTube. Since we started the channel back in 2015, uh, I've been collecting my entire life. uh, as, As long as I can, as long as I have memories, I've been collecting toys.
1: Growing up, Dan actually had a jump on many of the popular toys of the 1980s before any of us had even heard of them.
0: If you followed me or the show for any amount of time, it's no secret that I lived in Japan when I was very young we moved there when I was five years old and left when I was seven and that's a pretty impressionable age uh, for all of this kind of stuff you know uh, giant robots transforming robots live-action superheroes in Japan all that stuff uh, and then you know coming right back and having having that be the era when all of that stuff is really really hitting the West you know Voltron and transformers and gobots and all of those things so yeah you know, I had been exposed to that stuff just a just a little just a snidge before everybody else had and I actually I owned a lot of those toys at the time, too. And that's just, you know, I've just never been able to get off that <laughs> roller coaster of uh, buying that stuff, collecting that stuff, and just being absolutely fascinated by it. The, the engineering, the design, the colors, the materials, and uh, just, you know, wanting to, to see what was next and, and what what kinds of characters were going to be created and, and how they sort of gelled together and, and fit on my shelves. And uh, they were just fun. And they, they fire my—toys fire my imagination, action figures specifically. And that's that's really where all of that got started.
1: If you haven't checked out Toy Galaxy, it's the go-to YouTube channel for all things toys, but it goes way beyond that. You can consider it the hub for all things pop culture, including a lot of 80s and 90s content, including movies, TV shows, video games, and the like. Toy Galaxy covers topics as big as He-Man, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Batman, but does deep dives on things you may have forgotten about, like the Battletoads, Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs, and the history of Robotech. We all love a good origin story. So what was Toy Galaxy's origin? And how did it rise to over 330,000 subscribers? And as of the time of recording this, 54 million views.
0: Producer Greg and I have been friends for years and years and years and years. We used to work together uh, at the same retail job place that doesn't really matter even what it was. Uh, But that's where we met and started uh, hanging out and talking about making films and making shows and movies and, and what we wanted to do creatively. I used to do a lot with writing and drawing my own comic books and he's you know written screenplays and stuff over the years and you know we both wanted to start making little short films and we started doing that in little you know local indie film kinds of contests and that kind of stuff and uh we we had actually built up to the point where we shot you know with the the things the things we make making started getting longer and longer you know a couple of minutes three minutes five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes uh, until we were actually looking at trying to build a feature to put a f- feature film together. And, you know, we, we we planned and planned and planned and brought all these resources together. And then it just didn't work out because what we found out was that uh, you can't count on everybody on the the crew, everybody on the staff to just be dedicated to it uh, without pay. <laughs> you can't you can't expect everybody to just sacrifice all their free time uh, to to build this sort of dream project thing even if it's not like this this epic sort of thing even if it's just a short just 30 minute uh, clip you know that takes that could take potentially weeks to shoot, especially if it's a drama, or a comedy type thing. So, you know what we found was that we were the only two people we knew at the time that were willing to to commit 100% of our free time to to building something like this, our weekends, our nights, our you know whatever, and to, to do it without pay. You know that's what it was for years and years and years. It was it was just trying to push this dream, follow this dream of doing this stuff professionally full time, uh, and that means uh, just just doing the work. You know, uh, day after. Day. Day week after week, Uh, and so that's where Toy Galaxy was born from. You know, Greg Greg wanted to make films. I wanted to be in front of the camera and work on that sort of aspect of it. I was never really much of an actor. I certainly didn't take any drama or performance classes in high school or college, Uh, and it was something that really you know I I got interested in later in life. So you know, the the combination of it, it was just a natural fit. You know, he wanted to be behind the camera. He wanted to edit. He wanted to make graphics and produce videos and and i wanted to write and be you know entertain and be in front of the camera and you know all we needed was a subject matter and since i was already super passionate about toys and that's what i wanted to talk and write and make jokes about uh it was just a natural fit greg didn't really care what we were what the subject matter was as far as he was concerned on his end it would have been the same thing whether it was videos about toys or videos about, you know, uh, zoos across America or, you know, uh, fast food menus. It didn't matter to him. So uh, that's that's basically what Toy Galaxy was born out of.
1: So it's safe to say Dan knows a thing or two about toys, specifically action figures. So the simple question emerges, what is it that makes for a great one?
0: The ideal toy for me, and when I say toy, I'm going to specifically say action figures. I don't collect toys. I collect action figures and, you know, related accessories, uh, vehicles, play sets, those kinds of things. But even vehicles and play sets, I don't really collect. Uh, that used to be a thing I had, uh, but now it's 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 almost entirely just a focus on action figures. And for me, the, the ideal figure uh, would start with, you know, it's got to be a character I like. It's got to be a character I care about or based on something or look like something I would be interested in, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's things. Things like, you know, Boba Fett or G.I. Joe characters, Superman, Batman, Optimus Prime, you know, those are those are key characters that you can say, I like that character and therefore I will buy this cool figure of that character. But there's a lot of characters that exist uh, that are either based on. You know mythologies that I don't know anything about or don't care about and, and don't want to learn anything about. It's just they're cool toys. So uh, it's got to be either a character I like, or when I look at it, when I see it, it looks like a character I would like, even if I don't actually know the specifics of their origin. You know helmets and jetpacks and capes and you know laser swords and stuff. Those <laughs> those things are pretty much just universal. Uh, you can throw them in on just about any character, and you're at least gonna you know pique my curiosity, if not actually get the sale from me.
1: There's also one key word when it comes to the appeal, accessibility and interaction of our favorite toys that we maybe never thought about. That word is articulation.
0: Articulation is, is definitely going to be a key. Uh, I you know grew up in the time when you know Star Wars was still a big deal and Masters of the Universe and G1 Transformers and all of those lines were pretty limited on articulation actually, you know, when it comes to like posability. Transformers had all the you know joints and stuff to make them transform. But uh, they actually weren't very poseable. Uh, a few here, just uh, you know, as a side effect of their transformation, might be poseable, but most, most weren't. They were just bricks that transformed into other bricks. Uh, you know, Masters of the Universe, one, two, three, four, five, six points of articulation, Star Wars, five POA for most of them. Uh, it was G.I. Joe that really changed that game and uh, you know, got me thinking a lot more about articulation and believing that that was the future, and that's what I wanted to see rolled out to every single line uh, that I was interested in, every, concept, every character, every mythology, that's that's what I wanted. So articulation So articulation is just going to be key. If you, if you don't have the joints I want, I'm, I'm going to lose interest really, really fast. Uh, Relevant accessories, of course, and then uh, you know that follows through with uh, lots of different display options. Uh, in In this day and age, I want multiple heads, if possible, multiple hands, if possible. You know, uh, accessories that can be put on or taken off as needed. Guns, you know, weapons that can fit in their holsters or sheaths or whatever. Uh, And you know, honestly, I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of figures in my own personal collection that don't meet that criteria that I still love. You know, uh, I just just recently picked up the most recent wave of Star Wars Retro Collection, and those are five POA figures, and they're gorgeous, and, and I love them. <laughs> but uh, that's my ideal, is, you know, currently it would be six-inch scale figures with uh, just a lot of articulation. Not too much. I don't want to go back to the old toy biz days or anything. Uh, there's a point at which it just becomes ugly, and I don't want that. No finger articulation, no toe articulation. Um, But uh, a a good amount of articulation that you can put stuff in exciting and, you know, action poses, (laughs) take cool pictures or just have them look good on a shelf. uh, And then all those different display options.
1: If you grew up in the 1980s, you know, it was an explosion of pop culture, including a number of toys and cartoons we had never seen before. But what was the state of the toy industry as we left the 1970s and moved into the 80s?
0: This is something we've talked about in lots of our uh, episodes on Toy Galaxy. One, one of my main responsibilities, I feel, is to contextualize when and why this stuff happens. You know, it's it's easy to say like, oh, they made this character because superheroes were popular. Well, why were superheroes popular? You know, superheroes have been around for a really long time. What changed? What made superheroes popular at this specific time that everybody sort of jumped into the market and started making superhero toys? You know, uh, same thing with science fiction. Star Wars is like one of the, you know, sort of, you know. Moments, these milestones that just changes everything around it. You know, it just re, it re kicks off this whole new era of science fiction and space and star battles and those kinds of things. It's Darth Vader. Watch out. And he's got a lightsaber. It's Kenner's Star Wars action figures, each sold separately. I got you now, Ben Kenobi. With R2-D2 and C-3PO, there's even Chewbacca and Han Solo. Someone's to you. Uh, and you start to see all the things spin out of that Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, and all these kinds of things. Um, and there's a lot of changes to the sort of physical manufacturing and size. You know, you have an oil embargo that's going on at the time, coming out of the 70s into the 80s. You have the Reagan administration taking over and deregulating the uh, television advertising. Uh, landscape that allows all of these shows, all these brands, to start marketing to kids directly with what are essentially 30-minute commercials for the toys that they're producing.
1: The beginning of every decade is as much about the continuation of the previous one. And as we came out of the 1970s and the Vietnam War, this may have influenced the direction of a lot of the toys of the 1980s.
0: You have war fatigue, you know, after the Vietnam War ends uh, in the mid-70s. Um, Which, honestly, that's just the story of America at this point. War fatigue. It could be the subtitle, United States of America underscore, you know, war fatigue. (laughs) But uh, it's ironic because so many of the toys uh, of the 80s are explicitly about various wars. You know, Transformers is a war of Cybertron. Masters of the Universe is the fantasy wars, you know, between it's the battle for Castle Greyskull. It's a galactic battle. You know, the Masters of the Universe for the Power Sword. I am Adam. Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Greyskull, this is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Greyskull! I uh, Obviously, Star Wars is about Star Wars. G.I. Joe is about, you know, sort of uh, war against terrorism. Uh, But, you know, the wars at this point are more fantasy related than real, but it is always, you know, that core driver of, you know, what would be considered boys toys in the late 70s and into the 80s. Uh, and that's and that's really what it was. And, and I, you know, I, I feel like I've mentioned those things so many times in so many different videos. You know, uh, just hit those same points: uh, deregulation, oil embargo, war. You know, like the the influx of you know Japanese brands that were just being licensed, just scooped up by licensees in the West by the handfuls, where they were just you know renaming these products. And, and those are all about war as well. And it's uh, there, there's certainly a, a, a deeper exploration that could be had to the themes of all of that stuff. And I'm sure better writers than myself who've had more time to do research uh, have written books, volumes of books about that stuff. And uh, perhaps maybe one day I will too.
1: Even with this war influence, the toys of the 1980s seemed to be so much different from any other decade or era. And there were a lot of them. There was something in the 80s that the 1970s and previous decades just didn't have.
0: The main way that 80s toys uh, were different from eras prior is that is that deregulation. You know, just, just the saturation of every aspect of what kids were doing with their free time, playing games, watching shows, movies, comics, uh, you know, foods that they were buying, you know, everything was just marketing to these toys, you know, uh, and, and the toys were there to sell the other stuff. It was just this big sort of, you know, economy of all of these things pushing his brain. just, Embedding itself deep within our, you know, psyches uh, as far as uh, you know, trying to create lifelong customers.
1: Transformers.
0: Uh, and and it did and it worked. You know, I, I look back to previous eras and I say, you know, did did my parents' generation not bring the Lone Ranger with them through their entire lives because it wasn't that interesting, because the toys weren't that good, or was it just because they didn't have the sort of market saturation uh, that uh, we had in the '80s? And how much of that is is related to, geez, just the the politics and the you know the the way you spent your time, you know the the lifestyle your parents and your families led, you know like I I didn't have to get a job early in life. I I was allowed to you know I had the privilege of being able to be a kid longer than perhaps my own parents were were able to. You know my my father joined the military pretty pretty much as 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 soon as he was of age to be able to join the navy. He did and and, you know. Um, I think when, when you have those kinds of experiences early on in your life, then you do tend to leave childish things behind. And look, I'm, <laughs> I'm 46 years old talking about toys and how much I love toys and my action figure collection and all those kinds of things. So uh, I, I've never lost sight of the fact that these are intended to be fun things for kids, uh, even though they have grown up with us and they are now fun things for you know, middle-aged adults. Uh, that's really where a lot of this stuff is born from. Uh, and, and no offense, of course, to the people who are making these things, you know, the middle-aged adults back in the 80s who were creating the things for the kids. Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's, it, it is it is interesting to see it, to have, to have been young enough to see it from this perspective of a 10-year-old kid who loved it then, and then to still be able to look back on it now uh, as an adult and still appreciate those things. But, you know, to be able to look at it with a, discriminating eye and say, okay, I understand what was happening back then. I, I understand how <clears throat> I was manipulated as a child uh, into being a lifelong customer of these brands and yet I still love the things. And I like to think that some of that, <laughs> at least is through my own choice and not because I was you know brainwashed as a kid, but who can tell the difference anymore? Look, if it was brainwashing, it was fun and I enjoyed it.
1: We all know the classics from the 1980s, but what are some of those lesser known and maybe underrated toys that we possibly overlooked? It's, you know, it's it's hard. I, as a kid, I I really liked just action
0: figures and toys and so I was constantly on the lookout for for whatever was new, whatever was different, you know, I was I would spend my whole time as long as my mom was in the store, I would spend my whole time in that toy aisle checking out everything, checking out every back you know blister card back or new toy old toy what's in clearance what's on this wall what's in the car aisle what's in the gun aisle you know all that stuff uh but it's weird because sometimes you know things got past me and starcom came out in 1987 and you know all, all, all the things it had a tv show and whole toy line and all that stuff just when you thought earth was safe starcom! shadow Horses back with shadow raider their new mechanized menace Altering terrain trend hidden cargo driver and a weapon system that'll blast anything out of it somehow i just completely missed it absolutely completely missed it television commercials you know everything and uh i didn't really really get into it until everything was already in the clearance section and it and like the secondhand stores not, not necessarily like a thrift shop or anything but the like you know after the secondary market stores like today it would be like you know tj maxx and uh, you know, uh, five below and those types of things where it's already out of the primary retail market uh, and into the secondary market. And that's where I found it. And that's where uh, I was able to pick up most of the stuff that I ended up having as a kid. And I mean, honestly, I only remember one other person in my you know group of friends in my neighborhood having any Starcom stuff. And so it was just like him and I, he and I uh, playing with Starcom and, and nobody else. Everybody else had moved on either to other stuff or just wasn't even really into toys anymore. At that point, which is crazy to think, you know, in 1987, like me and my friends were like 11 years old, and to think they're like, ah, you guys still playing with toys, you you little children. It's like, well, you are too, you know.
1: (laughs) So, a franchise like StarCom is a perfect example. Until Dan had mentioned it, I had completely forgotten about this thing, but it just triggered something that is locked away in my mind somewhere. This was an issue in the 1980s. There was so much merchandise out there that it was easy to overlook toy lines. And some of these new franchises may have been just as good as some of the big name ones, but we just weren't able to give them the shot. So it's hard for me to say,
0: to, to even approach it with that kind of uh, of an underrated, overrated sort of a- attitude. It's like, it was all cool toys. And, you know, at different points, the, the shelves were just saturated. I'm going to use that word a lot, saturated with stuff. Like, you just couldn't get through to, you know, you have to get past all this stuff to find uh, the, the less known things that maybe didn't have the same budget or didn't have the same TV runtime. It's hard. So I, it, to, to the best of my knowledge, Starcom is the one that really jumps out like that for me, that uh, I'm not calling for it to come back. I don't need it to, to be rebooted or anything. I still have the stuff that I had and I love it. Uh, but that's definitely one that I feel like a lot of people don't really have a lot of about.
1: As we look at the legacy of some of those defining 1980s toy lines, it's interesting how they continue to be with us to this day. The Transformers franchise has still been making movies up to a few years ago. Netflix released a new animated He-Man series just last year. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have continued to put out movies, video games, and animated series a good 40 years after Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman first drew a turtle holding nunchucks. These gigantic franchises have lasted for decades and are often the things we cite when referring to our favorite 80s toys and products. But how have they held up? Were they as good as we remember, or do we look back on them with rose-colored glasses? The classic brands, you know, the really core,
0: the the ones you really think of when you think of the 80s, G.I. Joe, Masters of the Universe, Transformers, the stuff that really was born and and grew up then uh, and and is still around now— um... I, I would disagree with the phrasing that, you know, nostalgia has made them better. Uh, I think through the eyes of a 10-year-old, which is, you know, who they were intended for, they hold up great. You know, <laughs> a 10-year-old then would have looked at it and said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, a, you know, a 10-year-old today discovering it for the first time may think the same thing. It's hard because you can never be that objective about it again. There's there's already other stuff that they're going to have been exposed to. So, you know, trying today to show a kid the G1 cartoon as a, as a 10-year-old today, that they're already going to have seen so many other things that. Looking back at that, it's going to be like, you know, us as kids, parents trying to show us, you know, a black and white TV show or a radio serial or whatever. You'd be like, I'm never going to know if this is cool because I cannot give it my time. I have very important things to do as a 10 year old. Uh, And this just isn't catching my attention. So, you know. Those same brands today are still trying to primarily appeal to the the people me who were 10 years old back then and are now in our 40s, you know, 30s, 40s, early 50s. Um, so, you know, from from that perspective. Uh, I wouldn't say that nostalgia has made them better. I would say that they are just as effective uh, today in collecting dollars as perhaps they were back then. You know, that's that's the real standard for any of this stuff. You know, do they make money? And I would say, based on what I see at the theaters and the toy lines that are still being marketed to me, uh, they are absolutely still uh, relevant, uh, better, better. If 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 we go back to my criteria of what I want out of an action figure, what I really want out of toys, then I would argue yes that uh, they are better toys today. But I don't think that has anything really to do with nostalgia. I think that's just the advancements of engineering and toy design and the tastes of people like me who've been collecting action figures for you know 40 years. Uh, you know, who've driven the market by our purchases to say this is where we want to be, and this is what we want. So, you know, as a as a toy as a toy collector living in 2022, uh, I'm pretty happy with the <laughs> all the things that are available for me to buy.
1: So, ultimately, how do we sum up the legacy of the 80s and the toys it gave us?
0: We are living in the legacy of 1980 toys uh, 1980s toys was movies, comics, games, more toys. You know, as kids we were bombarded with it from every every conceivable direction, every angle. Uh, and as adults we still don't we, we still want to let it go. We don't want to let go of it. Uh, whether that's uh, again, there's there's smarter people than I am with much more education and and experience with this sort of subject matter. I'm sure there are fascinating psychological profiles and papers and stuff that have been written about you know peter pan syndrome and not wanting to grow up and not wanting to let go of your heroes and always chasing that you know high of when things were still new and interesting and exciting and 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 you were seeing things for the first time like that i think is is the the legacy of those things you know we we just have not been able to to let go of it and, and I'm I'm not saying that's right or wrong uh, I'm just saying that's the the reality and you know we've we've willed this current marketplace uh both through our v- actual vocal demands and then more importantly how we've spent our money on these these kinds of items that have been produced over the years uh, uh you know to make sure that as long as we live uh and I don't want to get dark here I don't want to end on a down note <laughs> but as long as we live it never goes away, you know, uh, but uh, time will likely resolve that naturally, organically. And, you know, eventually the, the 90s, we're, we're probably seeing a little bit of it now, the 90s will take over, you know, the box office and the toys and the video games and everything as that generation takes over. And then it'll be the early 2000s and so on and so on. And, um, you know, I, it uh, it is what it is. And so what my, you know, my recommendation for now is, uh, yeah, this is the ultimate legacy of the 80s. We're living in it. And you know what? Ha- have fun with it enjoy it for as long as it lasts
1: as we wrap up here i want to thank dan for taking the time to join us on this show and to talk about this decade and everything it gave us and if you haven't already please check out toy galaxy on youtube if you have not seen it you will not regret it if there is a movie or video game or cartoon or something you think is maybe too obscure i guarantee they've probably covered it it's a deep dive on all those things we love and toy galaxy is a huge influence on this podcast itself so thank you to dan thank you to toy galaxy and thank you for listening here today and as we finish up i wanted to give a shout out to the patron of the week This week we feature fellow Canadian Tim H and we look at some of his favorite things from the 1980s. So favorite movie, of course there's many, he says, but got to go with the iconic John Hughes and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Favorite TV show, he's going with a sitcom and it is Family Ties. Favorite cartoon, related to a bunch of what we just talked about, He-Man. Favorite toy, and I swear this is... A complete coincidence because of the way I had this set up and time not knowing what Dan would bring out. His favorite toy that he had was a Starcom Space Station play set. So can't make that up. That amazing coincidence that that would work out. His favorite music, he's going to go with Kenny Loggins, who he correctly identifies as king of the 1980s soundtrack. And last but not least, his favorite 80 cereal, Lucky Charms for sure, because like me, he was never allowed to have them, but he did eat a lot of Raisin Bran. For us, I don't know, this must be a Canadian thing. For us, it was things like Raisin Bran or regular cornflakes, or if we were lucky, Honey Nut Cheerios. So we both dreamed of Lucky Charms. So that's patreon and if you're interested in supporting the show you can check that out at patreon.com slash 80 so patreo ncom slash 80 so you can check out the different tiers and I've got the everything 80s movie review podcast over there so go have a look or wherever you're listening to this on in the show notes there should be a link that will take you right there okay that's it for me thank you for joining me I will be back soon with a new episode don't you dare miss it